The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To worship the Lord whom by grace we love by hearing from His Word. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them to Galatians chapter 4. We continue to make our way through this book. This morning we are in Galatians 4, verses 21 through 31. Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. Let's now give our attention to what the Spirit has to say to us as church. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the slave, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just As at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Well, this concludes God's the reading of God's holy and inspired word. May God now be pleased to add his blessing to it. Well, we all know people who get special treatment based upon who their parents are. Sometimes it's because their parents their parent is a politician or a police officer. Other times it's because he's a celebrity son or even a coach's son. Well, in a sense, this is what the Judaizers were suggesting to these Galatians. They were saying that because they were Jews, because they were related physically to Abraham, that God was giving them special treatment. And if they wanted special treatment like them, then they had to become a Jew. They had to be physically circumcised and had to keep the law of Moses, the Old Covenant. But in today's passage, shockingly, Paul reveals that these Gentile, these Gentile Galatians have Sarah as their mother. While the Jews, physical Jews who do not believe, do not have Sarah as their mother. 
this shows us that it is only by faith alone that we are sons of God. And it's not by any works of the law. And so three truths revealing that we are sons only by faith and not by works of the law. And they are two sons, two covenants, and two outcomes. That's the outline for today. So first, two sons. Verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? So this is the main issue that Paul has been dealing with in the book of Galatians. That the Galatians want to be back under the law. To be under the law means to be trying to keep God's law, the Ten Commandments, or any additional commandments at the, in the Old Testament that expired, or any man-made rules in order to achieve a righteous standing with God. It is to try to obey in order to be accepted by Him and not punished or rejected by Him. Where your obedience becomes the way be accepted or avoid being punished. It is what the reformers call the slavish fear of hell or a mercenary hope of heaven. And so Paul addresses this here with a question. Okay, you who desire to be under the law, do you not read the law? Now here Paul is using law in two different senses. The first time he uses the word law You who desire to be under the law, he's referring to the law of Moses, the old covenant, trying to keep the law in order to be blessed by God or avoid being cursed. But when he says law the second time, do you not listen to the law? He's using it in its broader sense to refer to the first five books of the Bible, the law, the the Pentateuch. And the reason we know this is because Paul goes on to explain a passage from The law in the broader sense from Genesis chapter 21 immediately after saying this. In verse 22 he says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. So this is referring to Ishmael who was born of his slave Hagar. And then of course the other son is Isaac born by Sarah who is free. And he goes on to say in verse 23, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So Paul is drawing a distinction here between two sons of Abraham. Both are physically related to Abraham. Both are his sons. And so what Paul does here is absolutely brilliant. Just because you are a physical son of Abraham, doesn't mean you are his child. Because both Ishmael and Isaac are sons of Abraham. Both are circumcised. Something that the false teachers in Galatia were boasting of. We're sons of Abraham. We're circumcised. Therefore, we are children of promise. And both Children, Ishmael and Isaac, grew up in Abraham's household. However, despite both of them being his sons, 
there are a couple of major differences. First, even though they had the same father, they had different mothers. One was a slave, Hagar, and one was free, Sarah. And this means that Ishmael was born a slave since his mother Hagar was a slave, whereas Isaac was born free. Second, even though they both had Abraham as their father, they had two different births. Paul says that Ishmael was born according to the flesh, while Isaac was born according to promise. And then Paul says in verse 29, Ishmael was born according to the flesh, but Isaac was born according to the Spirit. So to be born according to promise, verse 23, is to be born according to the Spirit. Those two relate versus that of the flesh. Being born according to the flesh refers to being born according to human effort, wisdom, and achievement. Remember the circumstances surrounding Ishmael's birth. Abraham and Sarah had believed God's promise. Genesis 15, it says Abraham believed God. However, that doesn't mean his belief was perfect. He had a lapse of unbelief. And so both Sarah and Abraham, falling into a moment of unbelief, said if the promise is going to come about of us having a child, then we have to do it ourselves. And so Sarah essentially asked Abraham to go commit adultery and have a child with Hagar. And they gave birth to Ishmael. But this was man trying to obtain the promise of God through his own efforts, which represents the works of the law. This shows that when we do not trust God's promises, both in his willingness to give them and in his ability to give them, that we revert back to our own efforts. I have to do something if God is going to be gracious to me. I'm going to have to do something if God is going to keep his promise to me. Works of the law. Trying to be righteous enough to obtain God's gracious promises of heaven and avoiding hell flows out of unbelief. That God will not keep His promises to me. That He is not gracious. That He's not merciful. That He's not faithful to do what He says He'll do. That He alone will do it. Therefore, I need to do something. However, that son Ishmael was not the promised child. The promised child would come not by human achievement or human wisdom, but by the miraculous power of God through His Spirit. And that is why God waited until Abraham and Sarah were well beyond childbearing years to grant them a child, to show that it would only be God's work and God's power and God's wisdom in bringing about His promises. God alone will perform what He has promised. And this is what we saw with the miraculous birth of Christ, who was born by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we see with our own spiritual birth, us being born again, as the Apostle John says in John 1, 12-13. But to all who did receive Him, 
who believed in His name, He gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Our spiritual birth, called regeneration, is the miraculous work of God and not our doing whatsoever. Because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And unable to do anything of spiritual good. And it was all of God who worked through the power of His Word proclaimed to us. And so rather than hearing God's Word and saying, it is up to me to do this, we instead simply hear His promise with faith and believe and trust God to do it. Rest assured that He will do what He has promised, that He is a good and gracious God towards sinners. And my works add nothing to that. My works do not make God any more gracious towards me. It all flows out of who God is as a God of grace. And this is what Paul is bringing out here, and thus exposing the false teachers in Galatia, who are all about works to become sons of Abraham. But Paul says that while they are physical sons of Abraham, and circumcised, they're actually like Ishmael, and not the child of promise. They are slaves and not sons because they are relying on human achievement and works rather than your faith alone. So we see the two sons. A second truth revealing that we who believe are sons of Abraham, really sons of God, children of Abraham, is two covenants. Verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. So Paul says that the two different sons of Abraham to two different mothers with two different births may be interpreted allegorically. And we have to understand what Paul means by allegorically. Because in our day, allegory has been seen as something that is to be rejected. It's usually associated with injecting something into the text of Scripture that isn't there. Of course, this is not how Paul is using allegory. Allegory, allegory refers to using a story to illustrate a truth. We all are probably familiar with Pilgrim's Progress. That's a very well-known allegory. A story of Pilgrim, who's a Christian, and he encounters people that represent spiritual truths, such as Moses and, and worldly wise. And this story, while using allegory, is conveying truths of Scripture. And this is what Paul is doing here, except he's using real people in real history to point to real spiritual truths that come out of the text. The spiritual truths he is bringing out are that the two women, Hagar and Sarah, represent two separate covenants. The first covenant represented by Hagar is the one from Mount Sinai. And that is the law of Moses, which was given at Mount Sinai. 
which Paul has been addressing throughout his letter. This is a covenant of works. This is a covenant that says you need to do if you want to inherit the blessing. And the people agreed, all that the Lord has spoken we will do in order to inherit the blessing. And of course, that did not work out. So like Hagar, this only produces children of slavery through works of the law. Trying to do works in order to obtain the promised inheritance. That leads to slavery. It's a relationship of slavery, shackled to your works, always under the threat of punishment, always under the pressure to perform well enough in order to avoid punishment. And this produces fear. It produces anxiety. It produces a lack of assurance. Because you're always asking the question, have I done enough? Am I doing enough? Am I doing well enough? How do I know if I've done well enough? Because the law requires perfection, and obviously I haven't done that, so am I doing well enough? What's the standard? Will I find out on the day of judgment? That is going to lead to a lot of anxiety. It's going to lead to all sorts of sins to which you will be enslaved, such as joylessness. That's actually a sin rather than the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy and peace. You will always feel burdened. You will get easily overwhelmed, constantly feeling pressure and anxiety. Always feeling like you're carrying a heavy load and please don't add anything else. It leads to a critical spirit. The law has its eye on me, examining me. Well, guess what I'm going to do to others? I'm going to have a critical eye towards others doing the same. The Christian life becomes about rule keeping rather than drawing close to a God who is to be adored and worshipped. But the Christian life becomes about rule keeping under the law. Making sure you perform sufficiently. Making sure you're staying in line. Since this is the way I live, since this is what the Christian life is about, I'm going to make sure you're staying in line. If you stayed in line, why aren't you keeping the rules? Don't you know that's what a good Christian does? It leads to having a judgmental spirit. Because judging others can be a false escape from the guilt that one has. Well, how do I measure up? Oh, well, others are worse than I am. This is what legalism and self-righteousness leads to. Needing a way out. Needing an excuse. And that leads to antinomianism. Setting aside the law. Because I don't want to be condemned by it. So I just say, well, God really doesn't expect me to keep that. Rather than finding this escape in Christ, it finds it in focusing on the sins of others. It finds it also in blame shifting. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. When God came and said, what have you done? What did they do? We repent. We acknowledge our sin. We confess our sin. We have failed. Would you forgive us? No, what did they do? Well, the woman you gave to be with me, she made me do it. And then Eve, the devil made me do it. You see what the law does apart from having 
Christ's righteousness, when they have their fig leaves on, their their own covering with the work of their own hands, picturing really self-righteousness, turning to my own works to cover myself, that doesn't work. It leads to blame shifting. I need to put my blame on somebody else. But ironically, in the gospel, you can actually put your blame on somebody else. Christ takes the blame for us. But if we aren't believing that, if we're walking in unbelief, then we're going to try to seek a false escape. We're going to be blaming others. Sinners under the law produces slavery to sin. You can't confess your sin. You can't walk in humility. You are critical of others. You're always finding a way to falsely escape. You're not thankful. You can't admit failure. Because it's all up to me. If I admit failure, that means I haven't kept the law. And I'm under condemnation. So I can't admit failure. You'll be afraid of being exposed and found wanting. And so... You will avoid others and trying to protect yourself from others because what if they get too close and they see my sin like Adam and Eve were when they were naked in the garden and when we're trying to hide from one another rather than being free to draw near to others in loving and serving them. It does not lead to a free spirit of peace, rest, and assurance that rejoices in God and says He has done it all. There is no condemnation for me. And there will never be any condemnation for me. Because Christ stood condemned for me. Rather, it says I need to do in order to measure up. And that leads to slavery. That leads you to be an Ishmaelite rather than an Isaac. Rather than seeing the law of Moses as a pedagogue to lead to Christ for salvation, they see it as needing to be obeyed in order to have a righteous standing before God. And Paul corresponds this to the present Jerusalem in verse 25. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. So the present Jerusalem refers to the one on earth. Literal, earthly Jerusalem with literal, physical Jews. Paul says that this corresponds to Hagar. Hagar is their mother because they are in bondage to the law. They have rejected the Savior. Still relying on the law of Moses. They may be sons of Abraham physically, but they are not children of promise. They are Ishmaelites. However, Paul speaks of another Jerusalem, a different Jerusalem. Verse 26, but the Jerusalem above, she is or is free and she is our mother. Now I want you to notice, Paul does not speak of a Jerusalem to come or existing sometime in the future. Rather, he says this Jerusalem exists now. It's just that it's above rather than below, rather than on earth. It's the heavenly Jerusalem. And that's what he means by above. And Hebrews 12 speaks of this Jerusalem. There the author writes that you have not, after saying you have not come to Mount Sinai, which of course corresponds to Hagar in the present Jerusalem here in Galatians. He says you have not come to Mount Sinai, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. 
the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is the same distinction as in Galatians between Mount Sinai and earthly Jerusalem and the Jerusalem above associated with Mount Zion in Hebrews. Hebrews just adds more details to this. It's where God dwells with His people of which the earthly Jerusalem was a type. It is tied to Jesus, the mediator of a better covenant, the new covenant. And Paul says to the Gentile Galatians, This is the one to which you belong, to the Jerusalem above. She is our mother. The Jerusalem above with Sarah as our mother corresponds to, not to the old covenant, but to the covenant of grace. The covenant where God promises to come and fulfill these promises. The promise made in the hearing of Adam and Eve when he told the serpent that a seed of the woman would come and crush his head. And the promise then of grace made to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant where God swore what he would do. These are covenants of promise where God's promising to do something. And this is fulfilled and finalized in the new covenant of which Jesus is the mediator. This is where God does everything for the salvation of His people as was foreshadowed in Isaac, the child of promise. It's where God sends forth His Son to be that child of promise who is born of a woman by the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, born under the law to fulfill all the righteous requirements of the law for us the righteous requirements that we were responsible to fulfill, Christ has done for us. He has become our surety. He has stood in our place as the law keeper. And we are then deemed law keepers. And then Christ stands in our place as the law breaker. And stands condemned in our place. And we receive this as a free gift. We do nothing. No works of the law secure this. He freely gives this to us. And we simply believe. We simply rest on and receive Christ for these things. And then God who began a good work in us, He's the one that's faithful to complete it. And He's the one that's at work in us to will and to work for His good pleasure so that we are able then to walk in righteousness. See, God does it all. He promises to do it all. And so we who believe are the children of promise, are Sarah's children. This is why it produces true children, as Paul says in verse 27, where he quotes Isaiah 54.1. He says, For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. 
Now, the original context of Isaiah 54 is referring to Israel in exile, held in captive to a foreign power because they have violated the law of Moses, because they have broken the covenant, and so they are in slavery. But God gives them a promise to those who are in slavery and bondage from the law. That's what the law produces. God gives them this promise that echoes the promise given to Abraham that he will have many children after they are brought out of slavery. Now because Paul starts out this quote by saying, For it is written, he is tying this quote from Isaiah 54.1 with verse 26 and applying it to these Gentile believers being free and having Jerusalem as their mother. He's using this Old Testament passage to back that up. This reveals that this would be fulfilled in the church. The one people of God consisting of both Jew and Gentile who believe in Christ. These are free children. These are children of Abraham, as Paul said in Galatians 3. 29, and these are children of Sarah, as he says here, who are freed from the bondage of the law. So Sarah is our mother, and not Hagar. Therefore, we are free, not slaves. We are not under the old covenant, but under the new covenant. The third truth revealing that we who believe are sons by faith and not by works of the law. It's two outcomes. Verses 28 and 29. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him, who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. So here Paul concludes by calling these Gentiles children of promise like Isaac as opposed to the physical Jews who are physically related to Abraham, children of Ishmael. But the situation is different with the other sons of Abraham who are in slavery. They are physical sons of Abraham, circumcised but Ishmaelites. Paul says that they are born according to the flesh, as he says here, not born according to the Spirit, and they are persecuting those who are born of the Spirit. Paul knows it all too well. The Jews constantly persecuted him. And he is saying that that's the way it was back then in Abraham's day. And what he's referring to is in Genesis 21, Ishmael mocked Isaac during the celebration of his weaning. Ishmael mocked this child of promise born according to the Spirit, which foreshadows the Jews mocking Jesus and represents the present day, Paul's day, where the Jews are persecuting the children born according to promise. And so Paul gives instruction in what they are to do. Verse 30, But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son, (coughs) excuse me, for the son, of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. <clears throat> so Paul is quoting here 
from Genesis 21.10, which is Sarah speaking to Abraham regarding Ishmael after he mocks Isaac. And God tells Abraham to go ahead and do this. Cast them out because he will not inherit the promise, but only Isaac would, that the promise would come through Isaac. And so Hagar and Ishmael were cast out into the wilderness, which is a sign of the curse. <clears throat> and this is a picture of what happens to the children of flesh. Children of slavery here trying to keep the law or of the works of the law. Their outcome is to be cast out of the family of God and not receive the promised inheritance. And yet in that story in Genesis 21, we also see God's kindness even to unbelievers. Because God took note of Hagar's difficulty and provided for her and did not allow her son to die. But even still, God was kind as he is to all unbelievers, causing his reign to fall on the just and the unjust. But what they do not inherit is the promise that would come through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And ultimately, Jesus, this promise of the new heavens and the new earth, the true promised land, dwelling with God forever in that heavenly Jerusalem. This only comes to those who believe, whether Jew or Gentile, to those who hear the gospel with faith, resting on Christ and not their own works. And this only comes to sons through faith, as Paul says in verse 31. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So we who believe are not slaves, but sons. And we don't become sons by any works, by anything we do, but simply believing the gospel, hearing it with faith, and that's it. Rather than trusting in our own works. And Paul is implying here that this is what the Galatian churches should do with the Jewish false teachers, to cast them out, to excommunicate them. Their teaching is false. Their teaching is dangerous. Their teaching is contrary to the gospel. It has no place in the church. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so they are to cast these men out. The Galatians should have nothing to do with these false teachers. They are to be removed from their midst instead of embraced. And only Paul's gospel is to be embraced. And brothers and sisters, we too are to cast out this false message. Not only those who come into our church and try to infiltrate the church with a false gospel. We're to have nothing to do with them after warning them. But also the false teacher that exists in our hearts. When our hearts doubt God's promises. When our hearts doubt His good will towards sinners. When our hearts doubt His grace. That He freely grants to sinners salvation and forgiveness to all who call upon Him. In our hearts that want to revert back to the law. I have to do something if God's going to accept me. I, I need to keep some rules if I'm going to maintain a righteous standard before God. When we start to base our relationship with God and our performance, and I sinned, I, I blew it. 
I should pray, but no, God probably doesn't want to hear from me right now. I'll just withdraw from Him, try harder, do more devotions, have some ascetic practices, put more rules in place until I get my act together. When our hearts start preaching to us this false gospel, we are to cast that false teacher out of our heart as well. Be reminded again of what Christ has done. Be reminded of who God is. Be reminded of the gospel of free forgiveness, of free grace given to sinners freely. So, when we draw back from God and try to do better, when we wallow in self-condemnation and despair because of our sin, grieving over our sin as if there is no hope, it is good to grieve over sin, but not to grieve as those who have no hope. As if there's not a mediator. As if there is not a Savior. As if there is not somebody who is sympathetic towards our weakness and who always lives to make intercession for us. Then we are to cast these false teachers that arise in our heart out of our heart and to again embrace the gospel that's found here in the Holy Scripture. Being reminded that we are beloved Children of God, children of promise, heirs of eternal life, not on the basis of our worth, merit, or works whatsoever, but solely on the basis of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that means it is all to the glory of God alone. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do ask you would help us to embrace this gospel that is hard for us to embrace because of the remaining unbelief in our heart. Even help us now, Father, as we partake in the supper, which helps us in remembering what Christ has done for us and who we are in the fellowship and communion we have with you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.